All right. Well, hey, we are jumping in to our sermon series here, part four of Saul to Paul, a Good Hope vision series. And, uh, you know, we're four weeks in already. So we got to know Saul, the angry young man, and then uh, he became Paul the Apostle. Jesus just knocked down the door and said, hey, I want you, and uh, sent Ananias and all those things, and now he's on his way. So Saul found out that a real relationship with the living God was available. He found out that a real relationship with the living God was going to change him, and he found out that a real relationship with the living God was a call to action. So Saul had a relationship with religion, but he didn't have a relationship with God. If you know what I'm saying, I hope you understand deeply what I'm saying there, because you can have incredible relationship with religion where, you know, you have a lot of horizontal connections with religious things, but that doesn't mean that you have a vertical connection with God. Saul had all of those horizontal connections. He knew what people were telling him to do. He knew what he was taught. He knew how to go and do things. uh, And he was very aggressive with it, but he didn't have a connection with the true God. And so when Jesus came and appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he found out a real relationship with the living God was available to him. And then he was changed deeply. He found out a real relationship with God is going to change him. And that's true for us as well. A real relationship will change us. And then a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. Paul immediately jumped in. He got to telling people, like, I know I came here to haul people that believed in Jesus away to, to jail in Jerusalem, but let me tell you, Jesus is the Son of God. He just got right to it right there in Damascus. And uh, just an incredible, incredible uh, story of the conversion of Saul, who becomes Paul the Apostle. And he experienced all the parts of our vision statement, reach up, rise up, and reach out. You know, he made that connection with God. He grew and changed, and he was making a difference. So he got all of that real quick. Last week, we talked about how Paul was a whatever-it-takes kind of guy. You know, he became all things to all people so that by all possible means he might save some. And he was willing to do anything. We went through that list of hardships that Paul experienced because he just was unrelenting in trying to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a whatever it takes kind of guy. And today we're going to look at Paul, the mentor. Paul, someone now he's, he's aging. He's been around for a while. He's not needing to be accepted. Now he's needing to pass uh, his faith to others. And so Paul, the mentor, Paul, the apostle as a mentor. Now, last time uh, we read some things that were maybe not indicative of the perfect patient mentor. So we're going to reread that uh, from last week. Acts chapter 15 Paul and Barnabas, you know, before this, they had gone to different places and and preached the gospel and tried to start churches and that sort of a thing, and they had been pretty successful. And so now uh, this is where we pick it up. Uh, Again, this is by way of recap from last week. Sometime later, Acts 15, 36 through 41, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So there was a harsh disagreement. Barnabas, the includer, who actually included Saul, Paul, into the group, you know, in Jerusalem, Barnabas came to Saul's aid and said, hey, look, he's not a bad guy. We need to give him a chance. And then he got in. Now Barnabas is doing the same thing. Hey, Mark's not a bad guy. We got to give him a chance. And Paul's like, no, (laughs) he quit. I hate quitters. We're not doing anything with quitters. And so this is, this is Paul, the mentor, you know, let's just talk a few things. Just make a few clarifying points here. First of all, this isn't exactly against what Jesus taught. If we go to Luke 9, verse 62, we see an interesting statement that Jesus makes. It's talking about the cost of being a disciple, the cost of following Jesus here. And and this verse, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So Jesus apparently didn't like quitters either. You know, he was not big on that. He says, you put your hand to the plow, you keep looking forward. What happens if you put your hand to the plow and you look back? Well, you're not going to plow straight, that's for sure. So when we turn to Jesus, we got to be going forward. When we're looking back, you know, it, it's it's going to get crooked. It's not going to work right. So, And then also, by the way, John Mark was not just completely, uh, just the last chapter there of 2 Timothy, verse 4, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, it says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So this Mark, people believe, is John Mark, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Mark, Matthew, Mark, that Mark, who they call John Mark. That's this Mark from what we know. And uh, Paul is saying, hey, bring Mark. You know, I need some help. Of course, you know, he's kind of alone. Looks like he doesn't have many people around, just Luke. So he wants Timothy and Mark to come and help. So Mark isn't out of the picture. You know, he's not mentioned much, but he's there. We don't really see Barnabas, but it's not a totally broken relationship. You know, you read that part in Acts 15 and you think, boom, like, ah, well, those guys were still hanging around. There was still, God was still there. So Paul was very demanding, but he was also a mentor to those who were willing to do whatever it takes. You know, he obviously had that sharp disagreement uh, with Barnabas and Mark. And so he went with Paul and Silas. And shortly after that, Timothy comes in. And Timothy is a young man who has ministry potential. They've prayed over him. There have been prophecies over him that he's going to be a minister of the gospel. And so he steps into that. So Paul, even though he was very demanding of others, he also gave a lot. You know, he he just was a, a high activity, high passion kind of a guy. And he was willing to be a mentor to those who were willing to do whatever it takes. And we see Paul's strategy in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. So this is his kind of 
mentoring strategy, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. And by the way, we're going to talk about Timothy a lot today because Timothy is a great example of Paul's mentoring. He mentored Timothy, and he also told Timothy how to mentor others and get other people to mentor more people. So 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So he says, look, you've heard me say things. You need to say those things. Tell people and have those people tell other people. So Paul mentors Timothy. Timothy is to pass that on to others who are to pass that on to still more. This is basically Paul's mentoring strategy. Now, here at Good Hope Church, we have a certain model of church. I just want to talk about this a little bit. You know, this is a a vision series, which means we talk maybe more nuts and bolts and strategy and stuff, uh, as well as biblical truth. But um, there's basically what I can see four general church models. And in no particular order, here's the four that I can see. There's probably others, but I'm just making generalizations. You've got the traditional model, which is just do church the way that everybody does and the way it's been, and then people will be comfortable and it'll work for them, traditional model. Then you've got the relational model, which is, you know, be friends with people, build relationships, you know, and then invite people later to be part of your ministry thing, but it's based on the relationship. Then you've got the attractional model, which is, you know, have the show be really good so people want to come, you know, make sure the services are good or whatever it is that the ministry is about. Make sure it's really good and worth being there for so people show up. And then the fourth one is the empowerment model, or maybe you could call it the discipleship model. And this is basically about taking the individual and trying to help them meet their full potential. And that's the model that we lean into at Good Hope Church is I want you to meet your full potential in Christ. Now, Obviously, there's lots of challenges with that, but that's the basic strategy that we have. Now, I think, as far as I can tell, every uh, successful ministry has aspects of all four of these, you know, like the traditional model. Now, we do things in what's been now for decades the way that churches like us do it. You know, I mean, the the pastors dress down a little bit, you got the song service, and then, you know, you got the preaching and you got prayer at the end, you know, like it's, that's our tradition now. So we do it that way. And it's kind of a bit of a traditional model there, but it's not the main thing that we're leaning into. Then, you know, the relational model, you know, some ministries are very strongly about relationship and that is their ministry model. But boy, you got to have strong relationships for any ministry to work. Then attractional, you know, some, you know, especially certain churches, other uh, like conferences, you know, they want their ministry that you show up for to be excellent, you know, world-class so that people maybe even want to fly into the conference and it's going to be very successful. It's got to be a really good event. Uh, so that's the attractional model. And, and you know, I think at Good Hope Church, we, we try to have parts of all of those. You know, we want church to be worth coming to. We want to have 
and develop good relationships. We've got our small groups and, you know, we're trying to build all those things so people can have interactions and connections and, and, you know, all that. And I already talked about the traditional part. But the big thing that I want for you and for everyone that's here in person is to really meet your full potential in Christ. I feel like that's really what the church's job is. Paul wanted Timothy to meet his full potential, and he wanted Timothy to help others to understand who Jesus was and to meet their full potential, and for them to pass that on to still others and have them meet their full potential and to keep going like that. That seemed like the the strategy that Paul had for mentoring and building people up. And so we want to grab hold of that, empowering other people to meet their full potential. You know, Paul didn't say to Timothy, try to get as many people to admire you as possible so that you can get good offerings. Like He didn't say that. He said, entrust this message to people, and then those worthy people will share it and entrust it with others, and it'll keep going. Then Paul specifically mentors Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at how this book of the Bible begins. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7, we'll get a picture of the relationship of Paul and Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, First and Second Timothy were written from one person to one person, from Paul to Timothy. So many of the letters are written to you know churches or you know the, the believers scattered throughout the earth or whatever. Like all these people, this is one person to one person. You know, from Paul. To Timothy. Continues, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So we see here that Paul and Timothy had a history together. You know, Paul knows Timothy's grandmother and mother, you know, and he, and he says to Timothy, hey, you know, you've got a spiritual legacy here. You know, you've got a faith that's been handed down through the generations from your grandmother to your mother, now to you. You know, uh, let's go ahead and, and grab hold of this. You know, Paul prayed for him, laid his hands on him and prophesied over him that he had a call to ministry in his life. You know, I mean, uh, that's amazing stuff. And so Paul is kind of, he's encouraging him, you know, he's just, Fan it into flames, man, you know? Fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So we see Paul is writing this to encourage Timothy, you know, someone that he cares about and he loves and he prays for continually. He's just, he's like, man, you got a call on your life. Let's go, let's go, you know? 
Uh, fan it into flame. Let's make it happen. And by the way, Timothy's already a pastor. He's serving God. He's doing things. He's not just some like guy that's over in the corner, not wanting to do anything, all scared. He actually is serving. He is pastoring. He is doing ministry. But Paul is trying to encourage him and and like, you know, hey man, let's let's go full speed, you know. That's what he's trying to do there. He's trying to encourage him. Timothy apparently is maybe a little discouraged. Maybe he's kind of, you know, got a, a, a few things that have caused him to hold back a little bit. And Paul is saying, man, let's go. You know, I'm in prison. Well, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but let's go. You know, like that's, that's basically the, the message. And so, you know, what I want to do for you is maybe a little bit of that fanning into flames as well. You know, like, hey, let's let's meet our full potential. Let's go after all the things God has for us to do personally, individually. You know, go ahead and, and seek that life, the fullness of life, your full potential in Christ. Try to grab hold of it, you know, be on that growth track, be in that place of seeking the things of God, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, his wisdom, and then trusting God to take care of you as you go. Like, Let's do it. Now I want to look in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So the previous book, I'm just going to turn one page back here. And I want to look at Paul explaining to Timothy kind of about church structure, where he talks about overseers or bishops. He talks about deacons. And then we're going to go to Romans 12 and talk about members. And so let's get a picture of this, kind of how Paul taught Timothy to organize things. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read 1 through 10. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So like I think the King James says bishop. Whoever desires to be an overseer, a bishop, it could be a, a pastor, uh, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must, be, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil— He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So a deacon, with deacons, deacons, that's, uh, you know, maybe ministry leaders, staff pastors, you know, I don't know, board members. I don't know that the definitions are super, super tight, but, you know, it's, it's somebody that's helping. That's part of it. That's an important, you know, part of, say, the church. So in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So we have here bishops and deacons, overseers and deacons. It could be pastors and ministry leaders. You know, again, not exactly sure the precise definitions. They were probably loose definitions back there anyway. But, you know, bishop is more along the pastor, maybe somebody that's leading in a denomination, something along those lines. And then deacons, you know, maybe that's a a ministry leader, a volunteer ministry leader, 
uh, or maybe even a staff pastor, depending on how it all works. But I think overseer and some types of staff pastors could be the same. You know, they could fit into that category. So Paul says to Timothy, you know, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Whoever desires to be a pastor, someone who's part of, you know, advancing the kingdom of God, you know, who's making this a lifestyle where maybe it's even a vocational thing where, you know, you're, this is where you're getting your living from. Whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And uh, I got to tell you here at Good Hope Church, and also all around the Northland, we are short of pastors. We're actually doing pretty good here at Good Hope. There's more things we could do if we have more pastors. I got a couple in the wings that I'm trying to get up and uh, maybe even three, and that'd be fantastic. But let me tell you something that we're trying to do in order to help people make the most of what God has for them. And we have here a school of ministry that's authorized by the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God. And here, here at the Cloquet Church, if, you know, you got to apply and all this stuff, but we we do classes, minister classes, where you can get your license to preach. You can become ordained. You know, you can get to the place where you become a pastor by taking classes here. And the reason that we're doing that is because I think, you know, if somebody's going to be a pastor up in the North, it's kind of hard to go from maybe even the Twin Cities and come up here. It's a different culture. Financial realities are different. It's different, difficult for people to make that transition. And a lot of times they're not successful because they speak a different language and, you know, they want to have the fog machines and whatever. And, and nothing wrong with fog machines, but, you know, you want to do that in Floodwood, it's probably not going to be the best option. So, you know, <laughs> but um, we have here ministry classes and if you are at all called to ministry, you desire to be an overseer, you know, if you have in there that heart, then we need you in the kingdom of God, you know, and whatever, you know, denomination, wherever you're at, you know, go serve. You don't have to be a part of the assemblies of God, like Good Hope Church. But if you're like-minded with me and you want to be part of reaching the Northland for Christ, we've got lots and lots of needs. So shoot me an email, Pastor Mike at goodhope.ag. And let's see if we can't get you hooked up so that you can get into your full potential because we need more pastors in the Northland. But even if you're not called into being a, a an overseer or a deacon or somebody that's a pastor, maybe has a little card, you know, everyone is a part of the body of Christ who's a believer. Everyone has a vital role and we call these members and the reason we call people members, I think it's got to be, is from Romans 12, 1 through 8, because that's the terminology there. So let's go to Romans 12. Let's read verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Romans, written to a whole bunch of people. Timothy written to Timothy. So we have to extrapolate from Timothy here. We can kind of maybe take more direct, a direct line of, okay, this applies to all of us all the time. So verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here we see the body of Christ, you know, like likened to a human body with all the different parts and all the parts belong, you know, this is my little finger, you know, don't take my little finger. I need it. They all belong to each other. One body. So with the body of Christ, all the believers in Jesus belong to one another and each is a member. Each belongs. And so, you know, you have church membership. You're a member. You belong to the body and then go do the thing you're good at, you know? Uh, different gifts. If it's prophesying, do that. If it's serving, do that. If it's teaching, do that. If it's encouraging, do that. If it's giving, do that. If it's leading, do that. If it's showing mercy, do that. And there's all the other things out there too, you know? Like maybe you're really good with technical stuff and internet stuff, you know? Go serve a church with that, you know, or serve the kingdom of God in some way with that. Go do the stuff you're good at. Do the things God's called you to, you know? We all have a role. You may not be an overseer. You may be like, oh, I don't desire to be an overseer. Fine. God does call. God does not call everybody to be an overseer or a pastor or a bishop. You know, uh, maybe you're not in that deacon place. You know, like where you're kind of leading a ministry. You know, maybe you're leading a prayer team or whatever it might be. You know, kind of in that uh, that next tier on the organizational flowchart underneath the pastor. You know, you're you're a deacon. You're serving in a very very powerful, significant way. You know. Maybe you're just not in that spot. That's fine. That's completely wonderful. According to the scriptures, you're a member, you belong, but do the thing that that you're there to do. You know, do the thing that's in your heart. Do the thing that gives you strength. Uh, you know, maybe you'll be part of our co-location ministry model that we talked about last week. You know, maybe you'll be part of seeing a church form in a difficult to reach area, either because it's a rural area you know, maybe it's a, a, an area that's economically depressed and we want to be able to go in and, and do good ministry and you're going to go and be part of that. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, you know. Seek it for yourself. God's got things for you to do and it's very unlikely that when someone tells you, hey, you should do this and you go, ugh, it's probably not it. What's exciting to you? What gives you life? What makes you think, man, that was worth doing? You know, uh, can you do that for the kingdom of God? And if so, that's probably where you're called. Go find that thing, man, and go live in it. Get to your full potential in Christ in the joy of connecting with what your heart is, what God put in your heart, which is going to be your, your purpose for the kingdom of God. And go grab hold of it. Go run after it. Figure that out yourself. Don't let other people define you with that. Seek the Lord and then just do that. Now that's going to shift and change as time goes on. So, you you know, you also want to be in tune with that. It's not like we're one dimensional today. This is me and, you know, I'm going to live the same day over and over for the next 50 years. That's not it. We're continually growing and and these things change. You know, you might might go from deacon for a while and then overseer, you know, who knows? So uh, don't worry too much about that, but grab a hold of what God has for you. 
Try to grab hold of your full potential, taking one step at a time. So we all have a role. It can change over time. Embrace God's plan for you right now. So we see here as the Apostle Paul kind of explains things to Timothy and then in the book of Romans to basically everybody, you've got the overseers and the deacons and the members. You got people who are leaders, you know, like pastors and maybe missionaries and that sort of a thing. And then you got the people who are serving with them. And then you've got everybody else who loves Jesus, all equal footing under Christ, but with different levels of responsibility. So that's kind of the the system that Paul explains to Timothy. And again, you know, with the membership to everybody in Romans. And I think this is just, uh, it's a good way to look at it. Uh, so look and see where, where do you fit? And then go do that. Paul was mentoring Timothy to help him come up into that I believe now he's in that overseer range because if he's encouraging others to become overseers, Timothy is already there. Obviously, Paul is at the top level. Timothy has been brought up to in at least into the overseer range. Now he's trying to pull others up into that as well, kind of growing the body of Christ in its strength. So let's go over the vision statement one more time. We started with that. And then we'll we'll land the plane here. So at Good Hope Church, our vision statement is reach up, rise up, reach out. Uh, reach up, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Rise up, a real relationship with the living God will change you. And reach out, a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. The Apostle Paul demonstrated all of those things, and he's stirring up Timothy to do those things. And so Paul here is acting as a mentor. Now, I have a lot of people, I think, are looking for mentors. And I remember as a new Christian, I couldn't find a mentor. It was, a, it was you know, kind of a thing that bothered me. You know, it's like, well, somebody's got to show me some stuff. Somebody's got to help me here. And it's very difficult to find mentors. There are a lot more people looking for someone to help encourage and strengthen them than there are people capable of encouraging and strengthening others. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. When it comes to, say, wanting a mentor, wouldn't it be great to have the Apostle Paul? But here's the deal. I learned something profound at a training years and years ago, like 20 years ago. It was a a communication exercise. And I want to share the basic idea with you because it was fantastic. And I hope this doesn't uh, ruin something for you. But I've only seen it once, so I don't think it comes up very often. But they said, hey, we're going to do a communication exercise. We want everybody to get in groups of two. And they got us into groups of two. And they said, okay, now take out, again, it's a long time ago. We'll give you each a three by five note card. And you're going to write down on the note card, your three by five card, the most valuable gift you were ever given most meaningful, I should say, valuable in the sense of meaningful, the most meaningful gift you ever received, who it was from and why it was so meaningful. So you're supposed to write that down. So people are are jotting that down. They said, we'll give you five minutes to write that down and organize your thoughts. And then you'll have two minutes to share with your partner what that is. And so, okay. So everybody's writing things down, you know, and people are uh, looking off in the distance and whatever. And then 
They said, okay, now it's time. You're going to be given two minutes. We're going to start with the person on the left. Person on the left, you'll have two minutes. We're going to start in five seconds. Person on the right, I want you to do everything you can not to hear what the person on the left is saying. All right, go. And they, and they started the exercise. And so the person on the left is trying to read off their meaningful stuff from their card. And the other person, some people just got up and walked out. Other people are banging on their ears. And, you know, I mean, like, and then they just stopped the whole thing and said, okay, we're not going to do it the other way. Uh, this exercise is done. What did we learn? And uh, the obvious thing that we all learned was that when it comes to communication, the power is in the listener. It's not in the speaker. You know, like if I am saying something, you can pay attention or not. I don't have any power over that. You, you know, you don't have to listen. But if you want there to be communication, listening is where the power is. And I think there's an analogy when it comes to mentors is that the power is in learning from others. You know, it's not in having a, a super important person agree to be your mentor or something like that. The thing that's really important is your ability to learn from other people, being wise about who you learn from, and then uh, humbling yourself to learn from them. That's where the power is when it comes to mentoring. If the Apostle Paul says something and it's powerful and glorious and would change your life, but you never open the Bible. So you never read it. You know, you're never going to be led by the apostle Paul's words in the scriptures. Uh, you know, so the power is in leaning into learning from others. And so I encourage you to lean in to learning from others. Let's close with second Timothy Chapter two, verses one and two again. And then I got one more thing that's important to say and we'll pray. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, I pray that you're a reliable person that can be entrusted with the gospel and that you will, in turn, teach others, help others find the truths of God. Now, there is one mentor, one that you want to learn from preeminently, and that is Christ. You and I can both have Almighty God as our mentor. It's not about finding a person it's about finding a Lord that can lead you through this life. So we're going to pray. And if, you, if you're like, I can't find somebody to help me, then Jesus is the one. Ask Jesus to lead you and guide, guide you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Submit yourselves to God. So that's what we want to do. We have a true mentor in Christ. We can be followers of God. And then hopefully we can learn from other people that we respect. And when we're wise to, to learn from the right people, we can see great return, but we can all turn to God and receive from him. So let's pray. We'll grab hold of that. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are not left alone with no mentors, with no leaders, with no one to help us. But Lord, we do have you. First of all, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into 
your calling for our lives as a member, as a deacon, as an overseer, whatever it is. Lord, help us to step into the fullness of your plan for today. But Lord, for those who who need a mentor, who need someone to guide us and lead us, Lord, we, we turn ourselves to you. We want to learn from you. We want to lean in to your teaching, to your truth, to your way, and grab hold of it. And if you can hear my voice right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know how that works, and you want to uh, come into the family of God, then all you got to do is ask. First step is to just say, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. I want to know you. If there's anything wrong, I pray for forgiveness of sins, that you can help me and, and, and free me from my past that makes me unworthy. But Lord, bring me into your family and Lord, guide me from here. Help me to learn your ways and to serve you in this life. If you pray a prayer like that, then that's the start. So Father, for each one who right now maybe is, is praying, asking the person sitting next to him, hey, do you need to pray? Lord, guide each one with that. And Lord, help us to have you as our mentor and our guide through this life because we know you'll see us through to the other side. So encourage us and strengthen us with this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.